0: Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 670th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have a couple who created a sustainable greenhouse business over 30 years ago. We're talking with Pooja and Udgar Parsons about growing a green business. Udgar was born and bred in Yorkshire, England in the early 40s, while Pooja was raised in Burbank, California. Udgar left a career in dentistry and orthodontics to raise a family on a farm in the north of Scotland. There, he learned to live off the grid and led a healthy lifestyle. Pooja's degrees are in psychology, philosophy, and fine arts, and that led her to create several nonprofits for the promotion of holistic health and spiritual growth. After traveling the world together and participating in several intentional communities, Udgar decided to become an American citizen and they moved to Colorado. There, in the Roaring Fork Valley, he was inspired by the vision of Buckminster Fuller and John Denver at Windstar, where he experimented with Bucky's biodomes. In 1989, they founded their own company called Growing Spaces, after developing Udgar's own greenhouse model called the Growing Dome. Puja held that businesses could offer solutions for environmental degradation and promote nutrition and natural medicine based on fresh food and organic gardening for clients and a socially responsible business culture. Together, they grew the company as social entrepreneurs for 29 years before passing it on to Liz and Lem Tingley in 2018. Welcome to the show today, Pooja and Ugar. Thank you. Thank you. We're
1: honored to be here.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today?
2: Yeah, I graduated in practice as a dentist, but I felt there was more to life than being a dentist. And so uh, I set out to investigate alternative lifestyles and ended up living in a, a community in the north of Scotland where I learned farming. I learned to fix tractors I learned how to build a house I became my own plumber electrician garbage man and I had this wonderful garden which we I grew a cabbage with a leaf as big as a bicycle wheel wow is and a two pound carrot so that those were that made me very proud but then I came to Colorado after a going around the world and various other adventures and tried to garden here in Colorado and failed completely. There were drying winds, there was gophers and rabbits and hail and early frost and late frost. And it was an uphill battle to garden in Colorado. But then I came across this huge 50 foot biodome at the Windstow Foundation founded by John Denver and the geometry was created by Buckminster Fuller, who, as we we all know, his motto was doing more with less. And so that really inspired me that this biodome could grow fruit, vegetables, and flowers all year round with no heater. There was one night it was minus 27 outside, and inside the biodome it froze a little bit, it was 27 degrees, but that's a difference in temperature of 52 degrees wow. with no heater, just using natural energy systems. And so I was so inspired. I said, well, how much does this thing cost? And they said, oh, about $75,000. And I said, I've got to make one that's affordable for regular people. And so my first growing dome, I called it, Was I could build one and sell it for $2,000. And it had all the features that enabled it to grow year round in the Rocky Mountains with no heat. So it was a net zero energy greenhouse. And I was so on fire, we grew the business together from three employees working out of a, a two car garage to 26 employees here in Pagosa Springs, Colorado. So, so that was really it. And, and I was a kind of technical guy who, you know, did that aspect of, of building and refining the product. And Pooja grew the company. And so that was when she kind of took over the business to do that more. You so, Yeah, that? he's
1: the mad scientist.
0: <laughs> there you go. So, how does developing the growing dome express your values, Huza?
1: Well, to disrupt the marketplace with a whole new invention that would be earth friendly, net zero, you know, to be able to produce year round growing in the Rocky Mountains at 7,500 feet was an incredible accomplishment. And, you know, in order to use natural systems, we had to live in harmony with nature. So, we had to teach people how to use frost hardy vegetables and how to be aware of where the sun is you know and how the systems worked Mm -hmm. but and that led to wanting to teach organic gardening as well because the whole purpose kind of happened by accident one day and you know when we were being interviewed in a video and we said it's more than a greenhouse it's a way of life and so the way of life that, yeah, that just popped out of us. <laughs> and so we realized we had to support the way of life also in the way that we did our business. And the way of life was to model holistic health, you could say, you know, but the connectedness of ourselves to nature and how important it is to not dominate nature, but learn from it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for me, what inspired me how it tied into my values was Buckminster Fuller was all about doing more with less. We've got enough resources to feed everybody on the planet and house everybody. That so inspired me. And we could produce a 33-foot diameter building, a growing dome, out of two by fours. And imagine what kind of size of blue lamps you would need to to do that. So Ah. it was just so inspiring to me that we could build this really immensely strong structure using very minimal amount of materials. And then the other thing that that inspired me to tie into my values, individual health and well-being, that by eating fresh organic food from our own backyard, we are so much more healthier. And so that's the other reason I got inspired. Amen to that. <laughs> That's what this podcast
0: in my life is all about. We have a lot in common, don't we? We yeah. do. Yeah.
1: You know, in our day, we had a lot of sugar. My mom used to make Kool-Aid for us.
0: Oh, I, I remember had, that. Yep. I had
1: no idea that I had hypoglycemia. You know, as a kid, I suffered in Uh, in my teenage years with a lot of depression, and I had no idea that it had to do with sugar.
0: Sugar, yep.
1: And so in healing myself, I always recommended to my clients in counseling and whatever, in teaching and consulting to attend to the diet because that brought the stability to me personally. Yeah. And that was a big value. For
2: me, I had a similar journey back in... 1965 when I graduated as a dentist I had this health issue that I you know tried to have the orthodox medical profession cure it they didn't cure it they managed to hide the symptoms now and again and my mother-in-law at that time said why don't you try nature cure you know which that was the healthy way to live in those days called nature cure and I said oh no I'm a scientist I don't believe in that. But I think, ah, as a scientist, I could do a controlled experiment to just try this. I don't have to believe in it. Right. Right. So I, I started following the regime of a healthy diet, fresh fruit, fresh vegetables. I cleared up this issue that had bugged me all my life in less than a week. It's amazing so, how that happens, isn't it? Yeah. And so I became a vegetarian overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, pure vegetarian for back in 65 before it was not many new people knew about it for seven years and i've never ever been healthier and so i guess part of my joy at the growing dome is not only being able to grow year round you know but to provide yourself with fresh organic food and increase your health in that way so that's what excited me as well as the structure itself wow Awesome. Well, thanks for that.
0: And you, Ugar, designed this dome in a very specific way. First of all, it heats itself. But secondly, the way you designed the different sizes, there's no waste involved. Can you talk to me about those two things? Let's start with the
2: no waste involved. Yeah. Well, so the first three domes were based on the size of the polycarbonate itself. That's the structural, you know, the clear glazing. Mm -hmm. And that that came in four-foot and six-foot-wide sheets. So the 15-foot, and that was the most expensive part of the dome. In those days, lumber was very affordable. That changed a little, but anyway. Right. So the 15-foot and the 22-foot were based on Buckminster Fuller's geometry with a two-frequency dome and then a three-frequency dome and there was no waste when I cut the triangles out of a four foot or a six foot sheet, which I used for the 33 foot dome. But then people were saying, well, we'd like a size in between, you know, the 22 is too small and the 33 is too big. And I knew that in terms of the polycarbonate, I would either have to have a lot of waste by cutting out of the six foot sheet because the size of the triangles was four foot eight inches or I'd have to add on a little triangle. Now Lem has solved that but because he's got so much production that he can afford to get custom made sheets at five foot wide. So he Oh nice. But what I did is I said, okay, so I can't do the no waste thing on the glazing, so I'll do it on the lumber and the siding. So the length of the wall of the 18 and 26. Foot dome was exactly five foot four inches, and we buy the lumber either in sixteen foot sticks or eight foot sheets. And if you cut five foot four off an eight foot sheet, you get two foot eight. And if you join two at two foot eight, you get five foot four. Oh, nice siding. And then the sixteen foot stick, if uh-huh. you've got piece three pieces at five foot four. It's exactly 16 foot. Wow. So that's the answer to your question. Well, and that took some thinking.
1: Yeah, that took a lot of <laughs> practice and sometimes sacrifice.
2: <laughs> yeah. Got it. People didn't like yeah. the added on triangles. Yeah. And
0: so the self-heating function, actually, so I found out about growing domes about six months ago. I tracked down the growing dome company in Canada, and they directed me to Liz and Lem. And growing spaces, and really excited about this product. I have been all about finding out about them, and I visited one. And one of the fascinating pieces for me is how they self heat. Let's talk about that.
2: Well, basically, what we do is a regular greenhouse gets hot in the day, and at night it just loses the heat and freezes everything inside. So what we do with the growing dome in the winter is we capture and store the heat in the growing dome, in the water tank, and in the soil by blowing hot air through pipes in the soil. So we're capturing that heat and storing it and then slowing down the heat loss at night with using either triple wall or five wall polycarbonate. Mm -hmm. Imagine a double glazed window has got two skins, an outside and an inside, and one Mm -hmm. dead airspace. The polycarbonate has got five skins and four air spaces. So that's insulating. There's north wall insulated, and in that's you don't get sun from the north in the winter when you need the heat, only in the summer when you need the heat to go away. So mm-hmm. that slows down heat loss. The wall is insulated, so it slows down the heat loss through the wall. And then we do a blueboard skirt around the dome that stops the frost coming in under the wall. So essentially you've got a heated insulated soil mass because you're blowing hot air through pipes in the soil. So plants stop growing when the soil gets below 43. And so we keep the soil warm so plants can grow all winter and the growing dome can stay up to 30 Mm. degrees warmer than the outside temperature on a cold winter night with no heater whatsoever. I have a 22 foot dome. I heated it for one week in 23 years. And that's because we had nine days of cloud followed by minus 20 degrees. So I decided I need to heat it. Uh, right? We grew all winter long, every winter with no heat whatsoever. Well, and a piece of
0: the heat storage is the pond. Yeah. Tell me how that works into it.
2: Well, basically, it's a huge mass of water that's sized according to the size of the dome, and it's got a curved surface at the front. So in the winter, when the sun's tracking across from the southeast to the southwest, all day long, the sun's shining on that dark painted metal surface, and the water's absorbing the heat, and at night, it just releases it back into the dome to stop it freezing. Very simple. But then... It's a whole aquatic ecosystem with mm-hmm. fish and aquatic plants and snails cruising up and down the wall, to eating the algae. And it's beautiful, you know. People put waterfalls in there, and you know, it's a lovely feature.
0: When well, I love pictures that I've seen that has a a deck above
2: the fish pond.
1: Yeah, <laughs> people have done lots of creative things. It's a nice,
2: nice place to hang out as well. We have a deck in our dome, and we have a rowing machine and comfy chairs and we go in there in the winter and just beautiful.
1: That's the best time.
2: Yeah. Well, my partner and I are in the
0: process of moving to Asheville, North Carolina Uh from Phoenix, Arizona. And my agreement with myself was that I get a greenhouse.
1: Oh, nice.
0: So that I have a a nice place to go in the wintertime when it's, you know, maybe cold and snowing outside. So that's when I tracked you guys down.
1: Yeah.
0: So. Udgar, what was it like working with Bucky Fuller and John Denver? They're two of my heroes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, John Denver for his music and Windstar and uh, Bucky for his technology. What was it like working with them?
2: Well, I'll answer about Bucky because I never actually met him, but I was so inspired by his ideas and I used his geometry to build my domes. So, but Puja worked with John Denver, so she would say more about that.
1: Well, Bucky was like a mentor for Windstar. He was sort of a father figure. Mm-hmm. He was very excited when he discovered that John Denver wanted to preserve a thousand acres of beautiful property near Aspen, Colorado, which would have possibly sold to developers. And it was part of the monastery, the Snowmass Monastery land. And It was the end of his life, the later years of his life. So to have a community around him that was excited about his ideas, like the domes Mm -hmm. um, and anything to do with sustainability, because John and Tom Crumb were partners in creating Windstar in order to promote sustainability internationally. They saw the writing on the wall, so to speak. Oh, yes. You know, that was Bucky Fuller. He was all about that too. So their community was... It was a privilege, I have to say, to be Mm -hmm. involved in that community because there were more values there, more values-driven, heartful connections, uh, and also an international following that was very vibrant for us and very much like an intentional community that we met in. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you knew about the Choices for the Future Symposiums that he created.
2: John Denver.
1: John Denver. The first... The first year was 1986, and he had celebrities from all over the world showing us, you know what was going to happen basically if we didn't start to, to really practice sustainability. Mm-hmm. And here we are: choices for the future. This is the future. The yeah. future is now. But the most exciting thing about that was it was multi-dimensional and so many amazing thinkers, so much creativity. Bucky's ideas were promoted through plays and through working with the children you know we, there was there were tremendous concerts and the whole Aspen community, everybody in the Roaring fort Valley would contribute by volunteering oh, because we were there. so we we were there because we loved the mountains, most of us and mm-hmm. it was it was an incredible experience I, I'll never forget it. And that one, those choices, symposiums happened every summer for five years. That I was do, kind of the heyday.
0: Yeah, I'll bet. I do remember those. I was lucky enough to visit Windstar in the early 90s. And yeah, I got to see what was going on there.
1: It was a grand experiment. And, yeah. and for me, the excitement came from working with Tom Crum because I was uh, interested in martial arts. And mm, mm-hmm. uh, Aikido is kind of... <clears throat> A very special martial art and it had the idea of becoming peace creating peace by learning to live from your center and mm-hmm. responding rather than reacting and I felt like the disciplines of the martial arts showed us how to excel and also showed us that we had to live a life of practice and that that practice is always
0: yeah that's it's the way I say it, the way I've interpreted it in my life. It's a, it's the journey. It's not the destination. And yeah. the journey is about practicing. It's about failing. It's about succeeding. It's Absolutely. about having fun. Yes. It's about grieving. It's about all of that, but being in the moment with that rather than trying to get stuck out there. Oh, that's where I need to get to.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I ended up studying Tom Crum and then working with him for 10 years teaching conflict resolution in business corporations, big ones like Shell Oil and... Wow. You know, it was was quite an experience.
0: Nice. And how did working at Windstar inspire you for either one of you?
2: Well, on two levels, the dome itself and how wonderful it was to be able to grow your own food in the Rocky Mountains, Mm -hmm. Uh, but also the community... That was dedicated and cared immensely cared for the planet. Mm. Because that was my one of my main values is to care for this planet with limited resources that we need to take care of. And that's how I finished my first video with those very words that we live on a planet with limited resources that we need to take care of. And those first images from space of the globe. This beautiful blue and green object in space. It's like we, it's a finite object because before people would just throw stuff into the environment or oh, in the water, in the air. The idea of pollution, we never get rid of anything actually, it just <laughs> is around. Right. So, so anyway, so, so that hopefully answers your question.
0: Yeah. My friend, Brad Lancaster, he's the water harvesting guru here in the desert Southwest. He always says, there is no away. Right. Right. There is no away. So let's talk about the company for a little while. What excited you most about developing Growing Spaces?
1: Well, as I said, we met in an intentional community whose purpose there were 5,000 people. Our purpose was to transform a 64,000 acre overgrazed sheep ranch into an oasis and reestablish the life that had been. Wow. Yeah. And over five years, we actually accomplished that, even less than five years. But we were so inspired living in an international community that was collaborative with the same purpose mm-hmm. that we wanted to bring that into the world just because it was one of the great experiences of our lives, you know? And there's a quote that ends up. A, that says we're more than the sum of our parts if we Mm -hmm. work together and that's our experience so I'm sure that was part of it the community at Windstar was another one where there was so so much creativity and aliveness and you know just people wanting to go for it that it was natural to sort of grow into creating a business as a community and Mm -hmm. also just the whole idea of empowerment you talk about an empowerment model or empowering your guests and teaching them. And so we we got really involved in that empowerment model. And we felt very strongly that all the stakeholders of our business are, you know, our customers, our providers, our
0: suppliers, everybody, Yeah,
1: yeah suppliers, yeah. Um, our staff, the community around us, we're all an integrated living system. And we wanted to honor everyone because it works better.
0: Yeah. Right. If everybody's boat floats higher, everybody's boat floats higher.
1: That's right.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: And the other thing is that there's a sense of, you know, there are old models that have been sort of top down and degrading the planet in the sense of not Mm -hmm. including the planet, not just think of, for example, all the lies we were told by the oil industry. Oh, yes. And I'm not trying to point fingers, but it seemed like business needed to be done a, a new way. And we never expected to become business people. We were, That was kind of a shock because we were growing into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, our company name was Growing Spaces. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: growing right? could be included on all levels.
0: Exactly. Well, and, and having created such an environmentally impactful business, over 30 plus years. How does that make you feel? You've changed oh. a lot of lives out there.
1: It's very satisfying. It's very satisfying. I mean, in the beginning, the only people that were interested were we called them dome heads. <laughs> oh. <laughs> because they were always creative people that were living on the edge, you know, and yeah. probably like us had dropped out somewhat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to grow into a, a time even like now, where the whole idea of of uh, natural medicine or complementary medicine or knowing that fresh food is important to, to the body.
0: Bingo. <laughs>
1: that's, right? that's an incredible thing to see that evolution. Yeah. You know, and just yeah. have so many people interested in growing their own food, as well as the aesthetic environment and you know, all the other things that are involved with a growing young.
0: Yeah. I hear you have a challenge for personal growth as a secret part of your name. Yeah. Tell me about
1: that. You know, Einstein said that we couldn't solve our problems at the same level we created them. Yep. So for me, that really inherently means that we have to advance in our skills level, in our awareness, in what John Denver used to call a higher view coming from a higher view or seeing the big picture, stepping back, and then also being willing to do personal work, you know, to become more evolved, to not live just from unconscious patterns, but to have more choice because we come to know who we really are beyond yeah. the patterns and our conditioning. And then we can be more creative. And so I guess because of our history and our personal growth and, and the, sort of journey of awakening, you might say, over the years, we always encouraged people to grow personally.
0: And that requires an awakening to a certain extent, being conscious of being conscious. Yes, yeah. I have this theory, I call it my ninety-nine-one theory. 99% of the time people change because they get hit by a Mack truck. Yeah. And 1% of the time people change because they choose to change. And it sounds to me like you've inserted this concept of personal growth into your business model where you you help people awaken so they can choose to change.
1: Well just the example of Ugar changing his diet and right he, he getting over what was the what was the illness
2: Sinusitis
1: Sinusitis just, mm-hmm. just that example you know where you watch yourself transform as you start to heal yourself
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you start to function on a different level. Yeah. But my big drive is to continue to create alternatives that can help us get back to health on on every level.
0: Yeah. So, what's different now compared to the early years as a social entrepreneur?
1: We're not so lonely.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yes. Amen to that for sure.
2: Yeah. I think for me, you know, having been on a spiritual quest, a very deep quest all my life, Mm -hmm. then knowing that in order to get the growing dome out there and people to know about it, I had to have a business. And for me, business has always been a question, but it was all about greed and money. And, mm. and it was the dirty word for me. Yeah. So I sort of made a deal with the universe. I said, okay, it looks like I can't do this alone. I've got to have accountants and marketing people. I've got to invite others. And I've got to run a business, but I'll only run it using my own values and being true to myself and being in integrity all the time with my principles. And if the business fails, so be it, but that's the most important thing. And it turns out that those principles enable the business to be more successful. And then we went to this conference called Conscious Capitalism. Mm-hmm. And in fact, those principles that were very dear to my heart were now being adopted more and more widely across the business world. So nice. that was
0: very affirming. Nice. And Udgar, Jenna says you told her that this greenhouse was a life-changing event for you. What about it and about the design makes you say that?
2: I think I just go back to what I said, like doing more with less, I could produce this structure out of two by fours which was immensely strong it would stand wind and snow loads and the curved shape was just like the way the sun tracks across the sky mm-hmm. everything about it was just quite wonderful and we call it the seven features of the growing dome working together to create a year-round growing opportunity they never changed from the, the first dome Mm -hmm. i built back in 89 had all these features incorporated into it and they still are there it's like i got it right first time so that's been really i mean it's improved you know materials have improved and design elements a little bit have uh, gotten better windows instead of fans or vice versa but the the main basic components were right there right from the start which is was very uh huge
0: um, yeah right awesome and puja you made youtube videos on the greenhouse and your first video was important to you why is that
1: that was the one isn't that the one where at the end we said it was more than a greenhouse it was a way of life ah uh, very and I good also and this this video happened almost spontaneously we the yeah. guy was around we, we we hadn't planned script or anything and uh he said i've got the camera i'm gonna shoot you guys in the growing dome. And we ended up saying at the end, if you take care of the planet, you take care of the people. It's natural. And it be, it became like a mantra in a way, you know? And of course, ours is the other way around. We're trying to take care of our customer first, but our customer gets to learn about being with nature and being within nature, sometimes even in a really remote area that has no nature you know, it's like a little magic place for nature. And it's a a house for nature, really. So I don't know, there's something really satisfying about that, about...
2: uh, I I think for me, partly it was like, in terms of it being right from the start, the other part of it was, it's a net zero energy greenhouse. And when I first invented it, Net zero energy wasn't even a phrase that anybody used. Right? You know, given climate change and that we can grow without using vast amounts of fossil fuel to heat this structure, was immensely important to me that we could, that it was free. It could be just planted anywhere. You don't have to have huge electrical cables underground or huge propane cylinders. It would just grow year-round, winter and summer. Most greenhouses get too hot in the summer yep. and too cold in the winter. I talked yep. to regular greenhouse owners and asked them about those two seasons. It's, well, we don't really use it in the summer. and you know, It gets too cold in the winter. So it's nice to start seeds in the spring and extend the, growing season a little bit in the fall. So it was like this, like Pooja said, it's revolutionized the greenhouse industry without the industry actually knowing it quite well.
0: and that takes me to one of my favorite things about what you all have done. As an entrepreneur, I've been self-employed since I was 15 years old. Creating a business or a vision or something that you can pass off that will live past you is huge. And you've created this business, Growing Domes, and you've passed it off to a crew of people that I've been talking to for six months that are amazing.
1: Aren't they wonderful?
0: They're absolutely amazing. How does it make you feel? I'm getting chills just sharing that. How does it make you feel that you've created this thing that you know that you can pass it off and it's going to continue to do amazing work in the world?
2: Yeah, I think Kuja needs to take credit for that because some point or other, I knew that I'd taken it to the level that I was happy with, and I would have been willing to step away. But she said, no, this thing has got to grow, and more and more people need to have these things. And so she took over growing the business in an organic way, and we went to conferences and studied business practices, and we we would have retreats, staff retreats once a year, where we'd encourage the staff to work together, to understand each other. And there were so many things that we did that Pooja mainly did that helped the business grow and evolve and become more conscious. And the staff learned to work together, how to optimize their skill sets rather than, you know, know, them doing something they weren't very good at. Mm -hmm. And so there was so much thought went into it and... Pooja was really responsible for that. <laughs> Only I told you about it. <laughs> she's she's right. blushing I'll, a little bit.
1: I have to tell you, first of all, that we are a part of a legacy. You see, we were given the root system by Bucky Fuller, yep. John Denver, and Tom Crumb, and their community, and all the research they did, but they hadn't committed to taking it out into the world or making, mm-hmm. creating a business. At that point, it was still a nonprofit. They were still involved in research and development. And it was time. It was already time. That was because Edgar got on fire. But (laughs) one of the things that's important in growing a business is past the entrepreneurial stage, when you've got everything in motion, then you have to encourage the main founder to step aside so that they're not depending on him anymore for decisions. And that's where I came in. You know, I, I helped him to step aside and he was ready. You know, he'd put so much energy into it for so long with so much devotion, he was quite exhausted, you know. So mm-hmm. that was a natural transition to go to the second stage of business.
2: Right. Yeah, I, so, I, so creating so, policies and procedures, documenting everything. Yeah. So everything was known and set. They didn't have to ask, well, you better ask about how do we do this? It's like manuals, all that stuff, mm-hmm. handbooks. And and so that's what enabled us to pass it on. And Pujo was responsible for creating those, putting those in place, along with inviting the team to work as a circle. It wasn't a mm-hmm. top-down enterprise. It was a circular enterprise. And that's one reason why we've been able to hand it over to Lem and Liz and And they uh, just relied so much on the team just carrying it forward. And so that's been quite wonderful to be able to do that. So what I just heard you say is that you
0: actually received the beginnings of this legacy from Bucky John. Yes. And you took it from them, created what you created. And now you're passing. it. so this is a third generation
1: Absolutely. process.
0: Oh, my gosh. That is so cool. Congratulations. It, is. it really yeah. is. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And sometimes wow. we know that if Bucky were around, he would pat us on the head. <laughs> right? And even yeah. Pat Lam on the head and all yeah. the others, too.
0: Yeah. Cool. Nice. Nice. Well, how exciting is this? Congratulations.
1: Thank you. Thank so you. I'm
0: going to I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you learned from it. I think this is for Pooja, right?
1: Okay. It's hard to admit this one because it was so traumatic, but uh, mm. before we were involved with well we had growing spaces started, but it was still just at the baby stages. And that was let's see. 95, 95 yeah. We got involved in um, creating a healing and conference center that grew to be a $20 million venture.
2: Wow.
0: And
1: it only grew to that because in order to have the water rights we needed, we had to put all these parcels back together here mm-hmm. in Colorado. And I was on fire with that one. And I, it was, I was so on fire that I just wouldn't stop. Basically, and after two years of lining everything up and getting the support of the community here in Pagosa Springs and you know, a lot of a lot of
2: investors, consultants. We had this huge team
1: yeah.
2: helping this thing move forward. And we just needed a deep pocket investor. And we somebody came to us and said, This person will fund your project. Right. And we We're like,
1: yes. That's and the, and team. we chose and we chose her because she Seemed to be more aligned with our values than the other people that had come forward. Mm-hmm. And we were on the, you know, on the cusp of having the right investor several times, but we chose this person that turned out not to be real.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. and so we crashed and burned because the money that she had promised was not actually available. Right. So wow. everything then, just fell apart. And then and
1: we, 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 you know, we tried terrible. to resuscitate, you might say. <laughs> but anyway it was very, very traumatic. And it left us with a huge debt. Mm -hmm. And um, I felt really responsible, especially for friends and people who had invested, you know, that were close to us, because there was a limit to how much we could keep putting into it, we finally had to give up. But we paid off our debt, it took 10 years. And it kind of hobbled us with growing spaces. But it was like, I always say growing spaces was like this flower that was growing out of the compost of the other <laughs> oh, yeah. venture. Nice.
0: Right? Good one.
1: Because it, it just took off just at the right time yeah. and started to become viable. Right. And I guess the lesson was discernment. Yeah. You know, the lesson was it's not enough just to share the same view or excitement or feel attracted to one another. You really have to be you know you have to be discerning, you have to do your due diligence and you don't want to be seduced yes. by someone. Who comes forward and looks so shiny, you know. And so now I feel like with the perspective now that it prepared me to be a better leader yeah. because I have this built-in excuse Jenna, me for saying it, but shit detector. BS
2: detector. You know, <laughs> right.
1: <you> know, <laughs> like it goes, yeah. dur, dur, dur. you know, it's almost it's yep. like it made me sensitive to who comes forward as real and who not. Yeah. And yep. always I would do the due diligence. Much more carefully.
0: Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. And Udgar, what do you consider your biggest
2: success? Well, I think taking an idea uh, and making it a reality by just following my heart, my energy. Mm. Whenever people ask me about my relationship to the dome, I say it's a love affair. I (laughs) love dome. I love plants. I love gardening. I love the planets. You know, so I think that's a success being able to translate my love into something practical that everybody who has a growing dome loves it, you know, so that love just goes out. And, you know, we have Facebook groups of owners and enthusiasts, and there's so much sharing and love. And for me, that my love could be transmitted so widely. That's a huge success.
0: Nice. Thank you for that. And this is probably my favorite question that I get to ask people, and that's what drives you. What's your big why in the world?
1: Well, mine is reverence for life. Mm. You know, I I remember reading Albert Schweitzer's autobiography when I was 12. Oh, wow. And just really identifying with his reverence for life. And, you know, there's a Colorado license plate that says respect life. Mm -hmm. I have that one. And I feel like If we did that, we would make much wiser decisions.
2: Wow. Amen to that. Well, I think from a very, very young age, what drives me is evolving and growing and always learning. And by doing that, somehow, I can help the world either directly by my invention, Mm -hmm. or I can also help it indirectly by becoming a more conscious and whole loving, and giving, and compassionate person. So any interaction that I engage in, that somehow gets transmitted. And even on a a finer level, somehow by being in that state more and more, I can help the planet and mankind. So that's what drives me. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And Udgar, if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Well, This is the book. It's called The Diamond Cutter by Uh Michael Roach. And when I came across this book, I was kind of struggling with finances. I grew up in England uh, in the war where the first seven years of my life, there was rationing. All food was rationed. You Mm -hmm. had two ounces of butter to last you a week. That's just an example. And so... I had this built-in sense of there's not enough the scarcity, and that's kind of dogged me my whole life. And this book, I was always trying to evolve and grow out of that scarcity feeling tone. But this gentleman studied Buddhism and was a, a Buddhist monk for 15 years. And then his teacher said, okay, you've got to go back into the world, and apply the Buddhist principles now by being engaged in business. And of course, he was totally resistant to this, like I was resistant to business, mm-hmm. but he nonetheless said he would do it. And he grew this company from $50,000 to a $10 million company. It was a diamond company that sold and bought and sold diamonds. Mm-hmm. And that's what I call the diamond cutter, but it's really about using the Buddhist principles in business. And when I read that, it was like an example would be when you're writing a check instead of like, oh, we've got enough to cover this, you know, just to write the check with a feeling of gratitude. I'm so happy to be able to support this person or this business. And so it was a whole different feeling tone just around that one simple Activity of writing the check, and so that book really helped me to come out of my scarcity situation. And I think it really evolved and helped business to grow and become more and more successful. Yeah, it's so the one book that really helped. Me.
0: Nice, yeah. Living in the space of that gratitude for everything we've got—it's kind of you know we talked about it earlier. It's it's not about the destination; it's about the journey. And if we're sitting in the gratitude of the journey all the way through, I found that magic happens. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? And I'd love to hear from both of you.
2: Well, for me, it's very simple. Do what you love and the money will follow. Mm -hmm. That's what happened. And it's not even about the money. It's just... Like you say, magic happens when you in that space of love and gratitude, the universe responds because on some level, the universe is trying to support us in every way. If we just be true to ourselves, be authentic to our own heart, then we will be supported. And, yeah. so and
0: let the universe support us right. be open to it. Yep.
2: Yeah.
1: So mine comes from Aikido. And that is our practice in Aikido is that there is no enemy. The person that's attacking you or offering you development through the attack Mm -hmm. is your partner. And so Mm. if you could see the things that challenge you or the people that challenge you as your partner in your own development, that would be a different way of holding it. And oftentimes it works very well because you can move from a different place inside yourself. Mm -hmm if you get that.
2: Otherwise we polarize and project and separate
1: right. whereas
2: essentially we're all connected.
1: So there's a sense of what what's the opportunity here? Mm-hmm. The opportunity instead of going into victim. Yeah. And you know, one of our biggest things is about thriving rather than just surviving. And so that's led to thriving for me.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for joining us on the show today, Pooja and Ugar. I so enjoyed chatting with you.
1: It was so much fun to watch your face.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you. I, you know, this stuff lights me up. I wrote a paper. I wrote a paper in the eighth grade. It was 1975 on how we were overfishing the oceans. So this vision, this whatever I'm on, this path that I'm on has lived with me since. So talking to, talking to you two, it's giving me chills again, talking oh. to you two, because you've been doing this work for so long. There's not many of us in the world that have worked as long and as hard on waking people up around food and the planet. And I just, I really honor you for that. And thank you so much.
1: And we honor you also. <laughs>
2: Thanks. And we're ready to retire. <laughs> uh, 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 and
1: In retirement, the beat cool. goes on, you yeah. know? Right. The beat right. goes on every day with everyone we meet. And it's yep. it's an incredible unfoldment.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And yep. people can find information on Growing Spaces at their website. What's yep. the website? GrowingSpaces.com. GrowingSpaces.com growing spaces any, dot...
1: any follow-up questions can come to us too uh at my email
0: perfect and what's your email
1: puja Dion spelled p-u-j-a-d-h-y-a-n at gmail.com
0: perfect thank you thank you thank you you can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash puja and ugar
1: we hope you enjoyed today's episode of the urban farm podcast